Good evening. My name is Ambika Sharma. You're listening to Fintech Cafe. It's a show that we bring every Wednesday. So thank you for joining. Today's our 35th episode, and we're joined by Trevor Marshall, who's the CTO, Chief Technology Officer of Current. So Trevor, thank you. An important disclaimer, Monisha and I, we both have full-time jobs, and our employer is not associated with this show. We're also not endorsing any products or providing any financial advice. The intention is to cultivate a community of thought leadership within fintech and just to learn. So with that, let's start with intros. I'll go. My name is Ambika. I am a product manager within the fintech space, and I started this with Manisha about 35 weeks ago. So over to you, Manisha. Thanks, Ambika. Manisha Chakrapani, co-host with Ambika on Fintech Cafe. Excited for this episode and also in the financial services space. Trevor, a brief introduction, and then we'll kick it off. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Trevor Marshall. I'm the CTO here at Current. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about what we're building. Very excited. So uh, let's start with Current. For those who don't know in this audience, and probably that's going to be a few, tell us a little more about Current. And it's kind of interesting as I look at the... Um, a challenger space. Current definitely has an offering that's grounded in its technology as a differentiator. At least that's my take. But Trevor would love to kind of hear from you about how you would uh, describe Current. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that's one of the things that that makes us a little unique in this space. Although there's a lot of you know great companies um, doing some really interesting things in this space. We we took sort of a, an interesting path to get where we are today. I guess a little background on me. I, I started my career at Morgan Stanley, so very much in the traditional finance world. And the guy who hired me there was Stuart Sop, who's the CEO of, of Current. And I, I've been with him my whole career. It's been through four different companies. And one of the things that drew me to Morgan Stanley, where I joined after my undergrad in 2013, was I, I became really excited about Bitcoin in particular while I was an undergrad. I was studying math and computer science at Columbia here in New York. And the the idea of being able to bridge that into sort of a, a, a bigger playing field and, and sort of bring institutions to Wall Street and Bitcoin to Wall Street and institutions back into Bitcoin was something that was, you know, sort of at the very cutting edge of what was possible in that space. I had had the benefit of being in New York in those early days where there's a lot of awesome people who are focused on Bitcoin and sort of surrounding early industries here. And I got to participate in meetups and lots of fun things like that. And so that's how I ended up at, at Morgan Stanley. I thought it'd be really interesting to do that on a foreign exchange desk. Stuart, when I met him, had been on Wall Street for 16 years, running different trading desks from where he started his career in London to Sydney, Singapore, Hong Kong, and finally in New York. And he had the benefit over his career to see some major changes in global payments. In particular, he was very much, you know, a part of when uh, the euro was becoming prominent, and and sort of all of the the changes that were associated with that. And also was at the forefront of a very peer to peer trading asset, which is foreign exchange becoming electronic and the digit or the the digitification, I can never get that word right, of foreign exchange trading. And so when I met him and, and I was sharing a little bit more information about Bitcoin, he immediately saw sort of the the, the potential of how, the, how payments, how, how global payments would be changing. When he left in 2014, I followed him. We did a couple of other things and we ended up 
really mo- moving away from pursuing value transfer. You know, how do we take money off of other people? And, you know, under the, under the wonderful blanket of market efficiency, that's ultimately what you're doing in trading um, towards value creation. How could we be part of the way that money was changing? And that led us towards ultimately where we got our seed capital, which was from Garrett Camp at Expa. Garrett Camp being one of the co-founders of Uber. He was really excited about building something in consumer finance. And, you know, we were right there with him. And in those early days, 2015, we were spending a lot of time building different prototypes. I think going through an incubator gives you a lot more flexibility and sort of agency to explore different opportunities. And we, in those very early days, actually spent a lot of time working directly with cryptocurrencies. So I think the very first product we had or had a prototype of was you would give us cash, we'd throw it in a safe and we'd extend money off of our Ripple Trust node on, on the Ripple network. And, you know, we kind of evolved technology around that where there was no Pfizer FIS sort of backends that you could use. And this led us in this direction of ultimately building a lot of our own core technology. And even though our product evolved towards more fiat or traditional payments mechanisms, we've been building from that that perspective from the beginning, which is we want to be compatible with the present of finance and, and the, the realities of the most efficient ways to make payments, but also be compatible with the future of how payments will work. And that's sort of leading down to the, the path to where we're at today. But yeah. That's super helpful. And Trevor, in since you've had the benefit of seeing the wave one and then the current wave two, what do you see as being more, you know, like showing more traction this time around in terms of currencies and alternatives? Yeah, I think one of the most exciting things and really as we look to what current is going to be able to offer over the next few years is you're starting to see the technology itself start to fulfill some of the promises that very early on people were excited about, in particular, the ability to own pieces of a new financial system. You know, at, at the very beginning, one of the first things that was different about Bitcoin was, you know, previously mon- a monetary base would be secured by something like a government who could raise taxes and enforce the tax raising with guns and have massive vaults where you could put gold and, and Bitcoin created a new way that that monetary base could be sort of created and, and conserved, which put the power into individuals' hands and, and really just shifted the way to think about money. And now you're starting to see in a lot of DeFi applications, similar opening up of responsibilities. I'm thinking in particular about projects like Compound, Kala, different things that, you know, they basically take a financial concept, a core financial concept, in the case of something like Compound, you know, the ability to post collateral and then borrow based on and making that accessible to, you know, different participants that usually would have been confined to a bank or a, a certain centralized institution. And I think allowing our customers to be a part of that fabric through the technology that we've built so far and, and sort of underscoring this idea of like a hybrid finance, something in between a centralized finance and a decentralized finance is the direction that, that, that I'm really excited that we're, that we're going on right now. Great. So Trevor, it's very helpful to know your background at Morgan Stanley and then, you know, your, how you and your co-founder dabbled into Bitcoin. 
then how did you arrive at, let's say, a deposit account? Last week, you announced a savings account, which offers 4.0 APY interest rate, which I think is the highest in the country. So how did you guys come to the current status quo, which is deposit products? Yeah, I think we were really in the, the very the first product that we launched that's still in market today was our, our teen product. And and really what the, the, the goal of that was to be able to have an experience that was somewhat had somewhat of a network effect, which would be like within a family, but also could have a little bit more of an independent single player experience, which you know, meant that we couldn't expect all of our customers to adopt it like a peer-to-peer -peer product, even though we have peer-to-peer -peer in the app. We needed to have something where users could interact with the rest of the world and have a full experience without having to have a massive network effect on the platform itself. And that's what led us to offering first a debit card product. And our teen account was not even full DDA deposit account in, in its initial iteration, but having that sort of wedge into the market of being able to exercise and, and, and play out some of the capabilities of the core that we were building gave us then that stepping stone to build out the full DDA, which we launched in 2019. And it's been a very natural progression of what are the things that people need and how can our technology serve those needs? And that's, you know, culminating now most recently in that, you know, our, in our current interest product, which we just recently launched and will be followed with many more exciting things to come. Got it. And because you touched on it, could we talk about your most recent launch, which is your savings account offering 4% interest rate for the year? Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about it. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's built on top of, if you're familiar with our product, we have the concept of savings pods on our platform. And really, these are just digital wallets. So they're part of a member's balance on current, and that's how we get the FDIC, FDIC insurance through our partner bank, like all the other funds um, at current. And while it's not yet a DeFi product, although we're working towards that in the future and it's, it's still very much in our plans, we're launching it now because this is feedback that we had been hearing from our members that they were having some trouble you know, saving and they wanted to be able to have an easy way to save more in a way that didn't have a lot of the same restrictions that come with savings accounts. And that's why we created current interest, which is very much not a savings account in the, the traditional sense. And we're very careful to make sure our, our customers know that. But the benefits of that is that, you know, you have a, a wallet within your, your current account where you're earning that interest. It, there's no transfer restrictions. So as you need access to that money, you can immediately use it on your debit card, there's no minimum balance. And really, this is just sort of, you know, the result of listening to our customers and understanding what needed to be deployed next. So just a clarification, are pods like many different savings account or how does that yeah, work you, if I were a customer? Can, yeah, you can think of them sort of like envelopes. So if you, when you come into current and you open up an account as an individual, you have the ability to set up savings pods. And, you know, with our premium account, you can set up to three of these. And the, usually when people set them up, we see them set them up with names like bills. In some cases, it's to save for a vacation. They might put, you know, a picture that they associate with it. They might put a, a, a target or a goal on there so they can track their progress. They can set roundups from when they use their debit card funds can, can go into there. And, and what this product is, is our 
you know, adding on top of that, this current interest or the 4% APY so that they're getting even more value out of having that balance. And another question based on a comment you made, Trevor, and based on some of what I've seen your content out there, you seem quite the expert when it comes to D5 and hybrid finance. When do you see some of your products transitioning into sort of the DeFi space? Like how would a use case for that work? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it is where the market is as well. So, for example, we've, we've been pretty public about our partnership with Akala, which is a DeFi product that's building out their blockchain in the Polkadot ecosystem. And I apologize for like lots of crypto buzzwords, and I'm happy to go, go back to those, you know, as, as needed. But a lot of these things are starting to mature in the public. And it's really exciting to be working with companies and helping to define their roadmaps and co-develop and co-build some of these things. But it's going to take a little bit of time to get everything from sort of the, the right flow of funds to the right on-chain product. But I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that that's something we'll be able to do this year. And it's something that we've already been working for, for almost working towards for almost a year. There's, there's quite a lot of things to consider in, in, in the progress. And how would that come play out in front of a customer? Is it basically the option where currencies could be transferable, wallets could be transferable? Just curious about how your customer base will respond to the interaction. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's de definitely not going to be sort of from a customer perspective, a very crypto forward product. A lot of what we're moving towards with respect to crypto is the value that you get from the technology, not so much the brand association with having a crypto product, if that makes sense. Exactly. And so we want it to be very natively integrated. And so practically, when you get into the nuts and bolts, yes, you know, dollars may be exchanged for stable coins, which may be exchanged for DeFi tokens, which may be done through partners or through different funds flows. But from the user's perspective, you're going to have a really seamless transition, very similar to what you're seeing today with our current interests product where it needs to be convenient. It needs to, to flow. And, and current's responsibility in this whole picture is to be that interface between our users and you know, the, the target financial outcomes. And convenience and trust is the main thing that we bring to the table. And so we've spent a lot of time you know, identifying who are the right partners for us. Like we have a great partner with our issuing bank. We have great partners in many aspects uh, of our business. And we really see ourselves as that, that interface layer. Great. Thank you, Trevor. I, I'm getting a lot of messages already from some of the engineers who are on the show who are listening in. So I have to ask you, given that you are a CTO, which is exciting, we've never had a CTO on the show before. Could you talk to us more about your tech stack? Uh, and then I have sure. some sub questions, but yeah, let's start with your tech stack. Uh, I think oh there, boy. It's... I mean, <laughs> we could go, I could go hours. I mean, this is probably my favorite topic for stuff at current. So like it, it, there's many ways that you can cut the tech stack. There's sort of the financial tech stack and the, the partnerships that we, that we have in order to enable a lot of the financial experiences, but a little bit more about sort of the nuts and bolts on our actual technology. I think when I talk about the current core, one of the biggest components of that is our own system of record, which at the end of the day is a series of ledgers that ultimately make up a customer's balance. So a balance for a customer, which is really our, our fundamental product is a balance, is a series of debits and credits, which they themselves are composed of many events, which ultimately can be combined together to say, you now have $100. So, you know, if you come onto current for the very first time, you connect 
let's just say um, a Chase account. You make a deposit. The first event we record is the initiation of that deposit. The next event we record is the settlement of that deposit. And then as if you've got that in your current interest um, savings pod, then you know we start ledgering adjustments for the yield being paid out to out to the customers. And all of these things combine together to make a balance. And so what that looks like in technology is you've got as horizontally scaled, you have the all of the rules that need to be made and put in place to combine those events and source them into a, a single balance and do that in under five milliseconds. The underlying technology for a lot of that, we, you know, we're completely hosted in the cloud. Our backend is hosted in Google um, uh, Kubernetes engine. We run a lot of our services as Java services that expose, you know, very highly specified schemas. We use under the hood for the ledger MongoDB on Atlas, which is a, a document database which can be horizontally scaled, so we can go to, you know, hundreds of thousands of transactions a second as we grow. And a lot of other components. And 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 when we talk, when I talk about the tech stack, I can go so deep in so many different directions. So I'd love to hear a little bit more specific sub questions, and you can direct my fervor. Sure. Well, first of all, the structure of your organization. How are product and engineering organized? Is product a separate org, or is it a sub-function within engineering? It's a combined product engineering org. So we have, and if you are interested in this, please reach out. We are definitely hiring. But we we have a lot of we basically have teams that are somewhat modeled off of the Spotify squad concept. So you have product managers working directly with engineers, working directly with uh, you know TPMs, designers, and and lots of cross-functional efforts, data analysts, things like that. And they're focused around different areas in our in our product. So you know we have areas focused around the growth of the product, the way that we connect with marketing, the financial stack, core products like you know current interest. And, and a lot of upcoming initiatives. And so, you know, we're working on teams of 10 to 20 people and continuing to split teams and as we grow. Got it. And then there's another question around data as a product. How are you using data to furbish insights to your customers and provide more meaningful services? A lot of it comes down to the way that we've structured the services in the back end. So all of the interactions that happen between the microservices are exportable and available sort of a, as a full data warehouse and data platform. And then we use those to drive changes in the products. And in some cases, we provide insights back to the customer. Like we have, for example, we do a, a ton of work around merchant attribution. So when you're using your card, we want you to be able to see that you spent it at the Starbucks down the street. And we use a lot of different data sources to get to that and via you know, different prediction sort of heuristics and, and models, we can say those things with high confidence. And then that improves the customer experience. It also improves things like card security and just makes for an overall more intelligent experience for our customers. Got it. And the last one on technical side, open banking. Your views on open banking, if you as a company are using any of the use cases, if you could just talk more about that. So yeah, open banking generally as a concept is is in the like capital O, capital B open banking is not as prominent in the US as it is abroad, but there are certain concepts that I think, you know, I'm pretty excited about things like, you know, Plaid has in some ways created a little bit of a, an open banking standard in the sense that a lot of partners will now consume Plaid data as a way to facilitate an integration between two partnerships. 
I think there's been or to to uh, companies. I think there's been a lot of progress also in API standards, which you know leads to more open integrations. And certainly in the last almost seven years, I've been able to witness with the partners we work with a lot more maturity and consistency in the way that people and companies talk to each other programmatically. So I think there are a lot of sort of open trends that we're definitely a benefit or we're definitely a beneficiary of. And on top of like the ultimate open banking is the open data platforms that are enabled by sort of crypto technologies and and, and other things. And, And that I think is its own can of worms. Switching a little bit from technology, Trevor, in terms of the customers that you tend to service, I think I've heard a lot about expansion of the financial services to access the those who are not included in the current systems. So could you t- talk to us a little bit more about your customer personas and also along with that, the revenue model, right? It sounds like there's a lot of cool technology core that you've built out. Uh, and so I'm curious about how that plays into the revenue model along with your customer um, base. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of customer, um, I think you kind of nailed that, you know, there, there's sort of a, a, a universal understanding for the most part of, of Challenger Bank broad demographics. I think when you compare us versus, you know, some of our peers, we are a bit younger, you know, average age on the platform is about 27. We are really building products for those who are looking to get ahead, you know, basically no matter who they are, there there are ways to improve your financial outcome. And our mission is to improve financial financial outcomes of our members. We definitely benefited from a lot of this push towards digital financial services over the last two years. And as a result, you know, and I think this is the same with many of our peers, you know, something like five to 10 years of, of a trend that had been, had started a while ago was sort of pulled into the last two years. And, and we've been sort of a beneficiary of that in terms of acquisition. Great. Thank you. And then, so from a revenue model standpoint, are you able to comment on how? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry, I that think, was a multiple um, question. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. Keeping everything. I, from a revenue perspective, you know, we, we benefit from working with lots of smaller, non-Durban regulated banks for our debit card. So interchange is a big part. Debit interchange is a big part of, of our revenue. We also have a, a premium version of our app. So we have sort of a, a subscription fee that makes up a good uh, chunk of revenue. And as we look forward, I think there's some really interesting opportunities that exist as we look at sort of the, the more either crypto related features or sort of alternative, you know, twists on, on, on financial products that we're able to to offer, there's some interesting monetization opportunities there where we're well aligned with the customer. Great, thank you. And then finally, related, you know, as I have seen the bank earnings week this week and last week, a lot of the incumbents have really picked up pace on some of the features you offer. How um, do you feel like Current is in a position to respond, react, or maybe has already thought ahead of it and getting ahead in the game? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's, the, 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 to flip that a little bit on its head, you're seeing that response from banks as a reaction to us, not really the other way around. And I think we've really demonstrated that there is a, as long as you can start thinking through a cohesive platform, your ability to execute extremely quickly on new products will always outpace 
the $12 billion that might be coming down the pipe to try to um, catch up to you. So, and I think that's the, you know, that's, that is sort of the, the reason why FinTech is so interesting is you're now pairing the agility of technology with sort of the, the breadth and importance of finance. And so I, yeah, I'm, I'm not particularly worried about that. Yeah, probably built the memory muscle around the tech advantage that you have. Yeah. Great. And then just a final sort of wrap up question we tend to ask, if current were to be immensely successful in the future, would you see that state look like for current? I think ultimately, if we're able to provide value to anyone, like, and it's, it's a little silly, but like anyone in the world, I would consider us um, successful because the way that we really look at ourselves is we want to be a little bit independent from the needs, the particular needs of a single demographic. And I think there is, a, everyone needs financial services in some capacity. And if I, I can very, I can see a pretty clear path to current being able to provide those services in the, you know, five to 10 year period of the company. So in that, on the same note, I guess I want to add a question, and that is SoFi recently went, got a banking license, I think yesterday, actually. So is that something that you're considering as well as you take, as you think about five to 10 years down the line? It's, it's, it's a complicated um, question because there are a lot of advantages of, of doing it. I think one of the biggest advantages from my perspective and my experience is being able to sort of have those uh, direct conversations with regulators. I mean, I know that's that, that that's kind of a, a weird, potentially a weird benefit, but it, it, it allows you to sort of set the direction a little bit more directly. We have a great relationship with our banks, but at the end of the day, it is their charter and we need to make sure that we are supporting them to the best of our ability. And so you change the dynamic slightly by having your own charter. Um, there is some potential around being able to do something with your balance sheet that hasn't really been part of our business model. We see ourselves more as being able to facilitate transactions and movement of money rather than storage and lending of money. And, and, and credit to date is not a huge area we've been in, but that I'm sure will change in the future. And I think one of the other areas that I'm particularly interested in in SoFi's direction is sort of any restrictions that might come in terms with interfacing with crypto technologies, because there is you know, a lot of hesitation to to move in that direction. And I wouldn't want to put current in a position where we would have to shy away from that based on, you know, our regulatory positioning. Right, that's fair. Uh, I'm concerned about SoFi in that regard. What happens to my crypto holdings there? Yeah. Well, with that, we're into the audience Q&A section now. So we'll open, open up the floor. For anyone who's interested, please come on stage or you can send us your question and we'll read. But remember that we are recording, so please, when you come on stage, state your name, and then you can share your thoughts or ask your question. And if you want us to read your question, you can send us a message. I, you can send it to me or Manisha using the back channel. So there is an airplane type and icon. If you click on that in the bottom right, you can send us a text. So with that, I think Isaac will be our first speaker on stage. Hi, Isaac. Great show. Um, thank you. Um, for having me up. Trevor, congrats again for everything you guys have done so far current. I think without a doubt, you guys have added value, right? Because of the number of people that have benefited from the platform. So that's great. My question is really around 
yeah, it's a different one, but around like what's next for, for current. And I tend to ask um, this of, you know, incredibly mission-driven founders and, and co-founders like, like yourself. You have a phenomenal community of people now that trust and use current, right? But to a large extent, you're still primarily VC-backed. As you, as you look at your next stages, right, like of growth, could you potentially allow your community like participate in that, like you know, do a crowd raise as part of it or consider going public soon? Thanks, Isaac. It's a really awesome question. It's something we think a lot about. And in some ways, like that idea is tied really closely with some of the items on our roadmap. I think you're seeing from an ownership perspective, you're seeing some really interesting examples that I would love to sort of figure out for our community. Things like, you know, companies like FTX that have their own token and, and there, there are several other communities that are somewhere between a full DAO, you know, decentralized autonomous organization and, and, and a corporation. And I think ultimately being able to give our customers ownership and stake sort of in the the progress of current would be extremely exciting, but yeah, from a, it, 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 there's, there's many factors. I think that's definitely something we think about. It's, you know, ownership in general is something that we think about pretty deeply and giving people access to that ownership is, is really important for our mission. Thanks, Isaac. Alok, welcome back. It's been a while. How are you? Yep. Hi, Ambika. Hi, uh, Monisha and everyone. Uh, hi, Trevor. My name is Alok. I work at another challenger bank called Upgrade. My question, Trevor, would be how how did you guys scale from thousands of users to millions of users and how was the journey in terms of even your scaling your infrastructure? So it's kind of a two-part question. Like how did you do market penetration and keep... Yeah, that, yeah and, and, and that scale is definitely something that that is like sort of that's the, the the problem that we want to be solving, but also one of the scarier things that's happening when you're when you're seeing something um, from a technological perspective or an operations perspective exceeding your comfort and control. There's a, a ton of different ways. There's one is sort of things like how do you scale up a, a customer or member experience, you know, slash customer service organization. And that was a long journey of trying out different strategies and ultimately building a really um, strong system and framework around how we service customers in a, in a digital setting. There's the technology side. I mean, we went through a, a, a pretty big transition from a sort of vertical scaling towards horizontal scaling that, you know, was something that we weren't totally positioned for at the beginning, but then we had to become positioned for very quickly, especially given sort of the growth over the last two years. There's, yeah, there's all sorts of, all sorts of, you know, the way we've grown our, our marketing program. Yeah, it's, it's been, I think that it's something that we think about a lot. And, and, and most recently, the, the scale that we think most about is as we've been able to grow our team fairly significantly recently, how do you grow productivity and how do you, how do you scale the organization in, you know, you have to use different strategies to get things done. And I, I think that's something we think about a lot as well. Thank you. Thanks, Alok. And David, over to you. I did mute you, so you'll have to unmute yourself. There we go. Okay. Can you guys hear me okay? Uh, this is the yeah. first time I try this. so I okay, know. I'm cool. so excited to have you here, David. We can Thank hear you. you. Go for it. 
Great. Hey, Trevor, thanks for the discussion. Really appreciate the opportunity and all the information you have shared. I guess I'll probably ask a business question. I'm a little bit curious uh, what special about what you do as you offer your customer 4% interest, assume, you know, the principal preserved, because I work with Ambika on the banking side. I know how this works. So in order to offer your customer a 4%, you have to look for some other investment so you can, you know, have the right spread there. So what's special with what the current is doing to really offer this uh, in a a sustainable way? So that's my question. Yep. So there's a couple of different ways that, that we look at it. You know, today, this is just something that we're comfortable paying out. And as we grow, we do have sort of a, a treasury function here, which, you know, we we use to help support that rate. But really, the direction we're going to ultimately is sort of getting people into these more on-chain or, or you know, DeFi opportunities. And I think that's, you know, measured in the order of quarters, not years. And so we're very comfortable with sort of our positioning around that. Can I just ask a follow-up question? That's okay. Yeah, go for it. But with on-chain or cryptocurrency, how can we make sure we manage the risk so we can preserve the principle? Because it's a very different risk on that side. So when we talk about saving account four percent, it's a little bit hard for me to understand how this can work. You know, with the principle preserved. Yeah, so I think one of the important things is we're not offering a savings account. It's certainly not in the traditional sense. But as we look at sort of moving customers towards on-chain opportunities, which is in the future from here, there are some really interesting insurance options that are emerging. Some of those are, are programmatic. And so things like securing principal in cases of existential technology problems or market problems, depending on the nature of the protocol, and also sort of off-chain insurance. So an underwriting process and a risk framework that can be to help protect principal. These are definitely, you know, that, that, that is definitely a factor in what we're looking at as we start moving towards that. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, David. And William, hi. Would you like to introduce yourself and then share your thoughts? I muted you, so you'll have to unmute yourself. Okay, got it. Hello, guys. Uh, Thank you so much for the opportunity. My name is William, and this is also my first time. I mean, I tuned in before, but I never spoke before. So, so hi, Trevor. And so my question for you is, okay, a little bit background information. So I'm coming from China. You know, I was born in the 80s. Back those days, like my parents' generation will be seriously looking to get some interest earned by putting their money with the banks. Then, you know, long story short, China started to change and I came to the States 10 years ago. Nobody offering, you know, this amount of interest rates. And amazingly, recent years, you see so many new banks started to offering a decent amount of interest rate for deposit, deposit bank, deposit accounts, uh, which is great. You know, it's also wild. Sometimes you think of you know, the history of the world. And so my question is that, how do you think of credit card though? How do you think new banks will be positioning themselves in terms of 
offering credit or credit cards against um, banks, traditional banks. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the, the most exciting areas for, for us and for our peers is the types of integrated models that we can apply based on the activity on, on account. So as an example, by putting ourselves in the, in the center of our customer's financial universe, which is very much what that checking account represents, we're able to understand a lot more details about sort of the credit worthiness based on all of the you know, compliant factors that you need to make credit decisions. We're, we're extremely well positioned to more fairly offer credit to people who may not be able to access it through more traditional means. So I think that's going to be a really exciting um, area. I think of people on, on this call have already started really diving into that more directly. Credit hasn't been something that we've been totally focused on outside of the no fee overdraft facility that we have and the sort of you know micro liquidity credit that we supply through early paychecks and 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 instant deposits and things like that but it's it's something that i think is really exciting thank you thanks william punam if it's okay with you i want to read some of the questions that i'm we're getting in the back channel so the first question is from Jason. Question for Trevor. What advantages does building your own core have for detecting fraud? Example, payments, identity theft, et cetera. Yeah, I think it's, it's a huge opportunity because you're able to be a part of that transaction decision. And so you can create far more types of step-up authentication. There's opportunity to use other pieces of data that you can, you know, the user can provide from the app, things like device location, and and also combining data sources extremely easily that that are used industry wide. So things like, you know, Visa provides a really great risk score on on authorization messages. But really, what it comes down to for us is the the ability to really be part of that decisioning the you know, mapping and the data platform that comes out from that really just opens up, you know, you, you're only limited by your creativity and your execution versus your technical ability to insert yourself in certain places or access certain data. So yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it, it gives us a, a lot of really interesting opportunities and many of which we haven't even fully you know, realized the benefits of yet. And I hope to in the next few years. Awesome, thank you. And then there is another question from someone named Mani, and they're asking about the voice of customer. So I'll just read. How is voice of customer and customer experience measured, and how is it used for new product enhancements for improving ROI? Yeah, I, I, I love that. A lot of, actually, if you looked at our, our, our Q4, a lot of it was heavily informed by customer, customer inbound and, and customer sort of voice of customer and, and that, that style of, of thinking. We have, you know, the really awesome opportunity of being able to talk to so many of our customers on a daily basis and not just sort of on the phone, but most of our communication is done through chat, which is much easier to sort of process for aggregated insights. And we get a lot of things, not only like here are the things that we need to fix or make, make better, but here are also a lot of the reasons that people might join the platform, might leave the platform might be expecting from the platform, but aren't seeing. So I think it, it's really important to have that feedback loop 
And from a bug perspective, it's critical because ultimately you can have all of the best sort of monitoring and, and things that, you know, ways of detecting things you've seen before, but very frequently things that you haven't seen before come through those customer channels. And so we've built a really strong muscle around being able to quickly react and uh, adjust our roadmap and priorities based on that feedback. Awesome. Thank you. So I'll hold off on the back channel questions and go to Poonam. So Poonam, you have the floor. Hey, Trevor, this is Poonam here. I'm also working in Financial Institute and I'm playing a role of engineering leader. So being a technological perspective, so my question is more on technical side. So we are more of, so we are moving to Web 3.0 and that talks about the virtual world. And we see there crypto is a king. That's how I see it. So do you have any opinion as a need of blockchain? And that is more on security side. The reason behind it why I'm asking, because in the VR world, we offers our end consumers uh, uh, devices where our end users can try certain things. And that's where they start, you know, buying things. I'm thinking loud and that's my yeah. question to you. <laughs> yeah, so I think the, the most exciting thing for crypto and, or Web3, so Web3 was uh, a, term, I believe coined, you know, maybe almost a little over two decades ago. And the concept was one of the semantic web or one in which applications could um, interact with other applications in a way that was native. <laughs> and I think what's the, the most exciting thing about what Web3 is bringing is you have these open data platforms that allow for, you know, every time someone is building into the Web3 ecosystem, it's by default, you know, by the fundamental layer of what's being built, composable. So every piece that's added creates exponential value increase for the entire network. That's why you see so many DeFi projects seemingly coming out of nowhere. It's because every incremental piece that's added is massively inflating the value of the network. And even though it started from a place that was, you know, very obscure and the corner of the universe, you're now in a place where you know, you can you can get a loan off of an NFT and create all sorts of really exciting experiences. So I think that, you know, for us, there's this massive exponential value growth that's happening. And we're focused on how we position our customers to benefit from that. Mm -hmm. And how do you see about the security perspective, like in this virtual reality world? I mean, from a security perspective, there's there's lots of considerations. That really mostly comes down to, you know, what I what we consider from a security perspective is mm -hmm. things like how, you know, for a for a DeFi app, how much is it going through? What types of audits have been put in place for the the technical fundamentals of their contracts, their consensus mechanisms, the sort of economics that secure non proof of work based consensus, and I, I think it, that that is more of a consideration. Like we wouldn't want to put our customers in a position where there would be doubt around the technical security of the projects. But that being said, like there's always going to be, you know, things that emerge and, and, and to the earlier question, that's why we're also focused on things like insurance. Great. Thank you, Poonam. And Albert, hi. Well, could you introduce yourself and ask your question? How's it going? First, uh, ladies, thank you for, for, for providing this space. My name is Albert. I am transitioning into data, and I love the uh, I love messing around with fintech and uh, crypto data. Trevor, hope help everything as well. My question for you is: How do you choose your partnerships? How do you choose your partnerships? 
such as Akala. What makes you choose Akala over the likes of, you know, Parallel Finance or Clover Finance, who's also on the DOT ecosystem? Yeah, so thanks, Albert. I, we definitely don't choose partners over others. We're actually working with quite uh, a few partners in the crypto space. You know, the ones that we've been uh, public about, we work with Bison Trails on the um, sort of node and infrastructure side, and they're providing a ton of validation services for us. We're working with Compound Treasury for, you know, some of our corporate treasury and, and some of the, the plans for our customer funds into the future. You know, we're working with Akala in a sort of co-development partnership where we're working on different products. We're working with Web3 Foundation and some of the initiatives that are happening in the Polkadot space. I think generally the really exciting thing about a lot of the crypto stuff is how open it is. And, and in particular, this last two, two-ish years is you're moving towards places where you don't have the same type of protocol competition that existed in, in the more early days, like, oh, it's X, it's it's Y, it's not X, that kind of thing. The conversation is much more like, I think there's a general acceptance of the fact that there are many players and many participants that are valuable. And so, yeah, we, we, we definitely don't look at these things as exclusive directions. And it's the same thing for our financial partners as well in the, in the non, non-crypto side of the thing. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I just found out, I don't know if you heard about this website called uh, Doom Analytics, basically where you're able to pick um, and play with data from, you know, crypto uh, projects. So yeah, definitely going to deep dive into that. And thank you. Appreciate it. Cool. Of course. Thanks, Albert. And over to you, Seisha. Thanks, Ambika, for the opportunity. Hi, Trevor. My name is uh, Seishu Peri. I work uh, for a financial institution. I'm a program architect supporting the alliance and partnership programs at the institution. My question is related uh, to the management of uh, the reward system uh, that you have, offering points uh, for the customer. So related to that, is that uh, something that you, where you are partnering uh, with a third-party company and DFS? Do you specifically look at uh, onboarding a specific uh, set of uh, merchants and what what what's the, the strategy behind that? Yeah, so the point system is something we actually built ourselves using the same core technology that we use for our deposit accounts. The fundamentals of that system are one around merchant and spend attribution. And on the other side, when you look at sort of a, the, the merchants that we work with, some merchants we work through sort of merchant aggregator, I call them merchant aggregators, but they're, you know, partnership aggregators are, are, you know, that's one way that we access offers, but we've also done a few direct relationships. We launched a, a pilot pretty publicly with 7-Eleven earlier in the year. And so we're, we're really looking at different, different ways to expand the, our reward system and make it more and more integrated with the rest of uh, the ecosystem. Okay. I think that was Great. Then from you, Seishu, any follow-up comments or you're good? Follow-up question regarding that. So can you briefly talk about the revenue model on how you support the reward system? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of these, for those who are not as familiar with sort of card-linked offers, a lot of these are merchant-funded. Sometimes we do you know, co- co-funding relationships. There's lots of different ways 
but for for us we're not as concerned about building a big revenue business around it for us it's really about increasing engagement and making you know trying to get as much value back to customers as possible thanks issue and uh, there's one question in the back channel actually there are a couple but i'll read one it's from kirti and she mentioned trevor that you mentioned very recently that you also have an insurance product offering could you talk or elaborate more on that then so the insurance side of things is really was more a response to a question around how we would secure principal in an on-chain defi product which is something to come we don't have an insurance product today and it, that while it is like insurance generally is an interesting integration or a partnership opportunity it's definitely not something that we're focused on as our core product today it would be more adjacent or supplemental to other products that we offer. Awesome. Great. Thank you. And then there was another point of clarification that is um current is specifically a B2C company or do you have any partnership opportunities for bank to collaborate with? We're definitely always open to understanding what those opportunities can be, but we've we've sort of stayed steered directly on sort of direct to consumer mostly because we think most of the benefit of building the core ourselves is being able to align sort of the app all the way down to the data structure in verticality for creating the best possible experience and there are is a natural tension as soon as you have a business client or a you know a third party client supporting that can potentially compromise your sole focus on creating great customer experiences but we have had conversations in the past and are still open to to talking to folks in the future awesome thank you And Monisha, I think you also have a back channel question. Yes, that's right. So we have this from Alex who is the author of FinTech Takes and also part of Cornerstone Advisors. Thank you Alex for your question. He's asked a lot of neo banks tend to skimp on customer service, chatbots and Q&As rather than customer service agents, but I think a robust customer service operation can be a boon to the product team because it creates a valuable customer feedback loop. how does current think about customer service and the feedback loop back to the products team yeah it, it it's critical alex the the loop that i described earlier one of the one of the things that was sort of a unexpected all of covid was unexpected but there was a time where you know we we work with sort of different dpos and there were times where you know people could not get into the office due to different restrictions and we made a choice to cut back on some of our phone support because of limited connection that people would have at home and what we actually found was that we were able to ex- aggressively expand our chat support we we have 24/7 chat support and one of the sort of unexpected benefits to that is by having everything written you're able to get much better programmatic insights from that data not only are you able to handle more interactions but you're sort of avoiding the if you're trying to do for example programmatic analysis of voice calls there's a sort of a transcript loss that can happen and there's also sort of the inability to to scale that to the number of interactions that we can today so um we we've focused very heavily on making sure that you can talk to an agent a real person not a bot at any time and that has also um had this added benefit of being able to get really programmatic analysis on 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 the interactions we have with our customers. Okay. Thank you. 
I hope, Alex, uh, you don't have any follow-up. If you do, just ping us. And then the last question for the night is around your funding round, and it comes from Vishnu. And he's saying that you raised about $330 million last year in Series D. What's next in your growth journey? And if you're hiring, what are the different roles that you're looking for? Oh, well, thanks for, for allowing me to make a quick plug. We are hiring really across across the company. A lot of that is what why we went out and, and raised that round. You know, the, you can find out more just on current.com slash careers. You can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn and I can share all the JDs that we have if, 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 if you'd like that, that way to find out more. And in terms of fund, fundraising, I think we, we were in a very good position. We were, we were great beneficiaries of sort of this accelerated growth that's happened all across digital financial platforms. And so I think, you know, there's, there's different ways we're, we're watching closely, you know, what, what some of our peers do in terms of financing to see possible directions. I think we're very much in a position where we want to fly under our own sails and we have the ability to do that. And we're very fortunate to be in that position. And are you open to remote? Right now, we actually, one of the things that has been really a little bit different than other companies is we're, we're all in New York. And we're pretty much all in the office. There are some people who are working remotely, some people who are, you know, really flexible, which is sort of the way that we've approached um, this. But I think one thing that makes us stand out from a company culture perspective is we do spend a lot of time together in person. So yeah, we're 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 in the New York area. We're we're on eight, you know, in the Flatiron sort of hotbed of of where at least a lot of companies used to be in person, and we'd be excited to to meet you and see you. Oh, I didn't realize you were in the East Coast. So it's quite late for you. Well, thank you for taking this quite late. No, no worries at all. Awesome. Well, with that, we're at the end of the show for tonight. So thank you for those who tuned in. And thank you, Trevor, for sharing the recent launch of your savings account. And then also just sharing more about what current is and what your vision is. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Trevor. Yeah, and uh, we'll have, um, so Trevor, if you're okay with it, we'll post, we'll post the openings that you have, that your company, whatever you like. Uh, I'll work with Erin uh, and Thank we'll you. get them uploaded on our website as well. Uh, so, that's awesome. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Certainly. Try to do our best. <laughs> we want to improve <laughs> finance in the United States. Uh, absolutely. I love it. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining. Next week, we'll have the, um, eToro. We'll have the CEO of eToro US. So we'll talk more cryptocurrencies next week as well. Thank you for joining. Have a good night.